to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Cheezo. And I've got the Supercoach himself on with me tonight. It's Pistol. How are you, champion? I'm doing really well. And I'm looking forward to getting all into this Supercoach stuff in uh, 2019. It's going to be a massive year uh, for all of us, for all the community members. And I'm just, uh, yeah, really pumped up. Look, mate, I know last year was pretty stressful for you. And uh, you're only freshly back in the country. You had to take an extended break because you just too many numbers <laughs> going through your mind on a daily basis. You just needed to get away. Just tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I've come back with even more spreadsheets and even more numbers. So I don't know if that actually worked, but uh, either way, I'm like just ridiculously excited about getting to start again, basically. Um, and this time, having Crips in my team, I think will probably just never change because of how destroyed I got at the end of last season without having him. Look, I, I understand how distraught you were when you found out that two of your big keepers in the our keeper league went down. You've lost Titch, you've locked Do- lost Doherty. Uh, you almost came back with more troubles than when you left with, mate. Are you dealing with it okay? Uh, it's kind of funny. You have like a keeper draft league and you, you're really pumped up about you know every year because the, the people you get to keep. So you know it's awesome that you've got to draft somebody and then you get to hold them for year after year. But when you lose your best two players, um, uh, let's just say I'm not as excited for the keeper league for this season. <laughs> Probably understandably. <laughs> And the problem with Supercoach is we've only got four bench spots, so uh, there might be a few struggles in uh, Pistol's uh, Keeper League team this year. Uh, It's nice to be back with your Pistol 2019. You can now hear us across so many different platforms. Previously, we kind of hamstrung ourselves and we're just kind of sitting on the iTunes side of things, but for 2019, you can hear us uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, SoundCloud as well. Uh, Anyone out there, no longer hamstrung on to what device you can listen with, so if you're on Android, you can now find us as well. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, the other big uh, uh, news that we should touch on um, is the spreadsheet, mate. Uh, Bryce Mitchell uh, and uh, the Dr. Supercoach team putting together that spreadsheet raised over $1,500 for the Cancer Council uh, for all those hungry coaches that just could not wait for Supercoach to open. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And again, thanks to Bryce Mitchell for uh, crafting pretty much just a masterpiece for our team picker. And as you said, $1,500. Couldn't have done it without you, community. Um, Straight to the Cancer Council, and we're ever so appreciative. Look, uh, I've seen Dangerfield running through the midfield just making everyone uh, look silly. I've seen Bryce Mitchell with a spreadsheet making everyone else look silly as well. It's kind of on the uh, uh, kind of on the same field there, mate. Uh, the last thing we'll touch on before we start getting into some of the news to do with AFL is uh, in 2019, we've already touched on the fact we're running uh, our Patreon page this year that you can sign up to. That's uh, just over a week away. The start of February is when people can sign up and see the exclusive content that we have got going over there um, and uh, another thing Pistol uh, I, I might let you run through this one is uh, something to do with the Herald Sun yeah we're very excited um, we're going to be writing a weekly article uh, for the Herald Sun this season so uh, hopefully you can check out the uh, the, the premium content over there and um, yeah support us um, when we yeah I guess move on to a next big thing in our uh, super coach careers I guess you could call it yeah, very excited about that. Can't wait to uh, um, see Dr. Supercoach guys taking on the Phantom one-on-one. That's going to be uh, <laughs> that's going to be great, uh, especially uh, 
because uh, I spent most of last year around the same rank as the Phantom. So uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, I'm sure. Uh, Pistol, the biggest It's like a change. double burn. You just took yourself down. <laughs> that's all right, mate. That's where I was anyway, so that's fine. Okay. Um, one of the biggest things that I want to talk about so far, Pistol, is the kick-in rule changes. We finally had clarification. Uh, essentially, that uh, a lot of these play-on situations are going to count as a disposal um, we, we should see a lot more players, uh, you know, uh, playing on and uh, getting some extra stats in our back line. Are you seeing any potential for that uh, to cause an increasing in score across uh, our defenders in Supercoach? Well, we don't know for sure how um, champion data are going to score the kick-ins. We know they're going to count as a disposal. Um, I guess we can just talk as if it's going to be scored the same as last year, but until they come out with some sort of like clarification or statement that you know the scoring there might be worth less, it might be I, I don't know what they'll do. But um, until we you know get word of that, it's all just going to be an assumption. Um, I think if we go on from last year and pretend nothing changes, then there's massive potential um, for a whole new structure. Uh, for for our starting sides, I think um, it's probably underutilized at the moment, underappreciated. Like how many defenders you should start. And I'm seeing a lot of teams um, on Twitter especially that are just going like Zach Williams at a D3 position. And I think it's absolutely crazy when there's so much value um, to be had from players who are going to be taking these kick-ins. If you're only going three premiums deep, I'm telling you this early that you're doing something wrong because it's just free points basically it's it's free value that you don't even it's not like selecting like a Zach Merritt and hoping he gets back up to you know 110 plus and uh, you know I think he will but this is like picking somebody like Jake Lloyd and it's already a guaranteed extra 10 points per game like you don't even need to hope it just is 10 points per game more so and that that's at a minimum as well like in my personal opinion Lloyd's gonna get a lot more than 10 points per game more so I don't know how you can't start with people like Jake Lloyd and like more premiums that take the kickouts, which we'll get into in a sec, but it's just, it's free value. And if you're playing a numbers game, it's just about points. It doesn't matter which position they're coming from. Points are points. You get the players that are undervalued that you know you're going to be scoring, you know, you're getting more more points from for a cheaper price. So um, I guess without further ado, Chizo, uh, which players, because of the new change in kicking rule, are you specifically targeting? Well, it's a very good question because um, we're seeing a lot of, you know, those preseason teams that people are posting. And, you know, in previous seasons, you know, you have your uh, your values spread quite evenly across the field. You might have three premiums in the back line. You might have three premiums in, in your forward, um, maybe five in the midfield. This year, I'm not seeing... Um, as many defensive premiums as kind of what I've expected. Exactly what you're saying with like a Zach Williams at a D3. Um, my defense this year is a little bit heavier pistol. Um, and I'm looking at players like Jake Lloyd um, and, and James Sicily as guys that are going to benefit from uh, uh, the kicking rule. We, As you say, we can only go on... Um, uh, just assume that it's going to make some sort of impact until we know the if there's any changes to the scoring system. Um, because these are guys that take a high percentage of kickouts, and with the new rule benefiting those um, and encouraging kickouts to be uh, you know longer and to play on, it, it's just quite. Um, it's highly likely that those taking kickouts are going to score more. So there are a couple of guys in the back line that I like the look of. What about you? 
Well, I think just for clarification, in combination with the man on the mark having to stand a further 10 metres back, so the defender pretty much has, you know, 20 metres from the top of the square to play on. So I find it very unlikely that defenders will stay in the square when they're allowed to take, you know, two, three steps out without... They don't even need to bounce anymore, right? So why would they stay in the square to take a kickout? I feel like nearly 100% of kickouts will be them outside of the square, and therefore, according to Champion Data, they count as a disposal. So I think the players that are like mostly going to benefit um, are you know the players that take the highest percentage of kicks, and that's, that's the Lloyds, the Sicilies. I think you've got to throw in um, Hearn, you've got to throw in Witherden, you've got to throw in Jaden Short. Um, well, you've got Nathan Wilson as well as Luke Ryan. Um, Luke Brown took a lot last year. These are all players that I would be shocked if they didn't increase their points per game by at least 10 just because of the extra possession. So assuming that they take a kick in, if they're going to kick it longer than 40 metres, we know Champion Data classify a 40 metre in distance, so it has to be not sideways, so like forwards, 40 metres. No matter where it goes, it's counted as an effective disposal. So if they boot it long, it's effective. Even if they don't hit like a target, unless I think it's unless it's a direct clanger, I believe if it's to a contest, it's it's an effective um, kick. So that's an extra four points. So people that take the kick-ins, they're just going to be banking, you know, three, three or four or five four pointers per game. So we're talking you know, twelve to twenty points per game increase. So I don't think you can afford to not pick, you know, three or four or even five defenders that are taking these kickouts. Um, although I do have to say, I know Luke Ryan took a majority of Fremantle's kickouts and he only played on at a very minuscule percentage. So you expect him to have the largest increase in points per game because of this rule. However, it was nearly a direct split of kick-ins between Luke Ryan and Nathan Wilson. And if I'm thinking about it logically and the, the man on the mark is 10 metres further back, wouldn't you want someone fast and quick to like counter-attack once the ball's gone through? So would, would you expect Nathan Wilson to take a larger share of kickouts next year than Luke Ryan? Well, that's a, it, it adds a deeper complexity to this. It's not just simply taking kickouts means you're going to get more points. Yes, Luke Ryan took a large amount of kickouts for Fremantle last year, but exactly the point you're making this is all this change was all about speed trying to get the ball um, in a more attacking position for the defensive team to you know generate more scores so we're talking about um, someone like Luke Ryan who was very short by foot he played on uh, I think the least out of um, the highest kick in takers per side in, in the competition at only 8% or something like that so um, when he does take the kickouts um, he will obviously play on a little bit more but just as you say, I think those fast running types, maybe Nathan Wilson, a Brody Smith from Adelaide, yes, he was injured for the majority of the year last year, and so Luke Brown took a lot of their kickouts. Do we say see Brody Smith, um, who's heavily underpriced, taking a majority of those kickouts because uh, because of that that fact? I'm not sure, Pistol. That's something that um, the complexity to that um, really interests me. And I'll just bring up one more thing. I'd love to know your opinion on it. If we're talking about long kicks. Um, going down the line, getting the ball in faster uh, by these types, does it affect those players that gathered a lot of their possessions in the pockets? So you're looking at a Rory Laird who takes a very small percentage of kickouts for Adelaide but picked up a lot of kind of cheap ball across the back line. 
are we potentially seeing um, Laird this year not being as uh, a heavily uh, as good a premium to be picking to start the season? Talk to me about that. That's a good point, Chizu. So Laird is priced at his average of 108. Now, he barely took any kick-ins, and with Brody Smith coming back, I'd be surprised if Laird took like a larger share of kick-ins. Now, he... Last year, he took 18 marks from kick-ins, which was the highest for Adelaide. So you'd think that if they... The thing is, like, you're not really sure how this rule is going to affect it. Like, it's a complete guess, but um, I would assume that they're not going to be, like, chipping it directly to the pocket anymore. It's going to be more longer, more direct, or um, more kind of set plays. And I don't know if that's going to be going through a smaller player in terms of Laird. You'd think that these people kicking in from the kickouts are going to be targeting a larger player up the ground. Um, and there'll definitely be set plays and zones to like counter, counteract all of this stuff. Um, so it might not be as much of a factor as you're thinking, Chizu, but I can still see Laird maybe taking one, let's say one less mark um, from a kick-in per game. And if it's one per game, that's two points for an uncontested mark. And then if you're... You know, he's got his kick. If that's an effective disposal, that's four points. So he could average, you know, somewhere between zero and six points less per game just out of that. Um, so for me, when he's already priced at his maximum, I know he's a really safe pick, but I feel like Laird isn't somebody that's worthwhile starting, um, especially with a really tough opening three games for Adelaide as well. I'm not sure that he's going to provide the best value um, for your starting squad, and um, when you've got players like Brody Smith, um, who in his final two games of the season did average three kick-ins per game, so that's potentially you know twelve points extra per game, and he's already severely underpriced. I feel like Brody Smith at three hundred thirty k is somebody that you have to strongly consider, and then you've got to kind of take in the people that take their lion's share of kick-ins, such as Lloyd and the Sicilies. Um, even possibly Whitfield, if uh, obviously with Heath Shaw out um, with that ACL injury, um, he might take a lot more kick-ins as well. And then you've still got the you know old suspects like Cade Simpson and such, and you know Witherden has been taking it takes a lot of kick-ins for Brisbane. And I just don't know if the, the value to start the year is, is there for Laird. And I'm quite surprised that he's in so many teams already. Yeah, I'm, I think people go with safety, and we've we've considered Laird to be one of the most safe, reliable, um, really good standard deviation picks over the last few years, that um, especially when you're just picking your initial team when you first log in, um, I can see why that trend is happening. But for me at the moment, he's not sitting in my team, and I've kind of looked for those that are kicking in a little bit. I'll just throw in one more um, kind of little sidebar just while I'm thinking of it, Pistol. If we're considering that players are going to play on a lot more they're going to kick long a little bit more often uh, potentially to packs a bit more often does that kind of play a role for you know like the bigger players like maybe Ruckman or forwards that are, have moved up the ground to try and um, take those contested marks provide a contest and, and uh, uh, get those uh, kind of like a Mason Cox that would um, use his basketball skills to deliberately tap onto <laughs> another player like are, are we seeing that this is going to have a flow-on effect to maybe the, the bigger man down the ground, whereas previously a lot of teams um, were going short more often than not. Even if we just look at Adelaide, um, they had a long effective kick 56 uh, times last year um, and 123 short effective kicks. So they go short far more often than they go long. If this changes, they need to have some sort of strategy in place 
to retain the ball? Is a big man going to be the answer to that? Jeez, I think we've, <laughs> we've officially thought way too much into this. <laughs> I think we need to tone it back a little bit and just wait to see what happens Mate, in JLT. you bottled me up for two months. <laughs> you didn't wait around for me to podcast in December. I've had two months' worth of stuff to talk about. Uh, just cut me some slack, all right? But definitely something that <laughs> we, we do need to talk about. We've talked about our first players that we've picked in the back line. We like those kicking in. Um, what about the midfielders, mate? Give me some guys that are straight into your midfield in 2019. Well, my first two pick players, I, I think uh, starting the podcast, it's pretty obvious that I've selected Patrick Cripps. Um, I'm not making that mistake ever again. So he is definitely going to burn me this year. Um, I just cannot get a run with him, you know, training him with his leg breaks and then, yeah, not picking him last year because he looked looked injured before the bye and then just went on an absolute tear. So Cripps was my first selected midfielder, learning from my mistakes. Um, my next two have changed since uh, my... Well, McRae has been in my side as well. Um, but I did have Titch, so I'm a bit disappointed um, that I can no longer select him. And um, I think it's a pretty easy swap to McRae. The guy is underpriced because he got injured um, halfway through on match and he went absolutely bonkers throughout the season and I know he, he kind of improved his average out of sight out of nowhere but you just need to watch him to know that his game is so super coach friendly in terms he's he's got the knack of finding the ball. You know, he's an accumulator. You can't really like unteach that. It's not going to go away uh, if he, you know, plays on the wing. He's, he's always going to find the ball. He's going to be a massive ball winner and I just feel very confident in that selection. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and talking about things that we've learnt uh, since the 2018 season, um, it was one of those moments where you fought tooth and nail to make me get Ed Kernow instead of Patrick Cripps. So I've learnt since that <laughs> season not to listen to you, and so that's why I don't have Patrick Cripps. If you're picking him, I'm not going anywhere near him. And so the uh, two of the guys in my midfield that I've picked, uh, picked up straight away, uh, Matt Crouch um, and Lockie Neal. The reason... For that is because I had so many midfielders last year that um, either had high standard deviations, would score 150 one week and 60 the next, and average um, 110 or whatever that works out to be, <laughs> um, and, or so, or they only, they only played 15 games. So I had guys that were unreliable uh, captaincy options, and I had guys that weren't playing every single game. And so um, safer options, safer inverted commas, like a Lockie Neal, who I think is uh, more of an accumulator, similar to Matt Crouch, they have uh, you know lower standard deviations when they play. Um, Crouch a little bit underpriced as well. Those two guys, um, I really really like uh, going to this season just because I'm looking for some safety in the midfield so that I can take some risks in the back line with some of these you know speculative picks on who might improve by ten or fifteen points because of the kick out um, rule change. So um, they're my midfielders. Pistol. What about some uh, ruck line? I think we might have the same R one. Well. If if you don't have Brody Grundy, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like we've talked about this on the previous podcast in December, but there is that ruck change rule where you can grab it out of the ruck, and Grundy loves to take it out of the ruck, and also he's really good at it, and he kicks it long. He has, I think, what well, there was a stat today from uh, Frico that he had more clearances than pretty much all the top line midfielders anyway. Like he's just a really good pick and. Okay, you might be able to pick him up for 50k cheaper, 
but that's still 650k like throughout the season it's so hard to get to that price like you may as well just lock it in so you don't have to burn two trades or three trades to get him during the season um, and not only that, he's a great vice captain. He has all the early games throughout the whole season. You can just leave the VC on him, um, and he's got such a high ceiling. He's like, there's there's so many reasons to pick Brody Grundy that I it boggles a mind when I see a team that just doesn't have him. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally on board with that. I think the main thing for me is that it's a little bit more difficult to pick a solid captaincy option in the midfield. Uh, losing Titch is obviously um, devastating to super coach players and fantasy coaches alike, but we do need someone that has that high ceiling, a consistency of a high ceiling. And Grundy last year really broke through to contend that mantle of the number one ruckman in the competition. So... Um, I, I fully understand uh, why people want to go somewhere else because he's over 700k. Um, but for me, I'm picking him in as that that steady VC option that I know I can depend on. If he has a shocker, I've got someone else to pick from because he plays so many early games. Uh, Pistol, you've got your R1. I think that we're very uh, decided on that. My R2 is the probably the area this season that I'm having the most difficulty picking because... Um, there's a few different options that we could pick from, and that ruck rule um, really does interest me a little bit. And I think it's something that you mentioned on the December pod um, it, when I was listening to it. You were basically saying that anyone that gets the number one ruck mantle rarely goes under 80 or 85. So if you can find someone that's you know got the number one ruck rule, uh, number one uh, ruck position in their side, it's going to be hard for them to put up poor scores uh, every. You know, every week. So I'm looking at the likes of maybe a Billy Longer now, Hickey's gone, or even a Sam Naismith, mate. What's your thoughts on the R2 position? I'm currently going with a mid pricer in that spot right now. I feel like there's a lot of value to be had um, in that R2 spot. I'm not saying, like, we, we, the reason that we're, we're kind of straying off Gorn is because of Proust. Now, if Proust doesn't line up in round one, then you can definitely go with Grundy and Gorn, but the threat of Proust will always kind of be hovering over you um but you know that's obviously a gamble that probably most are willing to take if Proust doesn't line up in round one they're happy to have gone um otherwise i feel like there's, it's also pretty rare to get a number one ruck that's in the 200k mark so i definitely want to take advantage of it um if the opportunity opportunity presents and there's a lot of them you know long up might be the number one ruck Lewis Pierce is actually probably somebody that could take the mantle off him, so we'll have to wait and see through the JLT. Um, Naismith is currently... Well, he's always... Uh, I can tell you right now I'm going to the season with Naismith unless there's an injury. Oh, oh okay. I guarantee you from from January... You really, Yeah, I was going to say, you realise it's January. <laughs> I, I'm that... Uh, he, he was one of my first pick players in December when it opened because Naismith is a very good footballer. Like, he just is a really good footballer. I think people forget because he missed the whole season and they look at his stats and they were like, oh, he averaged 77 when he played. But one, we've got the new ruck rule. Two, he's actually entering his prime um, age for a ruckman. And if you watched him during that season, like, he's genuinely a good footballer. So... Why wouldn't I pick him at 251k? I can easily see him being the Swans' number one ruck. Buddy needs help in the forward line. Sinclair's going to play there. It's just all, all signs are pointing to me 
to pick Naismith. Obviously, I could be completely wrong. Um, and there's other there's other rucks available um, that are cheaper, such as Zach Clark might play if Bell Chambers is out. Keegan Brooksby might play um, early on. I'm not really sure if he's going to be um, playing with Hickey, but I guess we'll wait and see what's going on there. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities for other cheap ruckmen as well. So I feel like in the year of wits, it was risky because if Witz failed, you couldn't go anywhere when he was 270k to start the season. I think it was two, three years ago. Whereas this season, it feels less risky because there's so many options. Like one of them is going to be good. So if you do pick one and fail, and you you have kind of a, a get out of jail free card, although I don't think it will fail, but it's there. You've got Mumford as a backup in case things go super poorly, and he doesn't change in because he's missing the first two games. He doesn't change in price for a bit later, and probably those uh, cheaper rucks at least get close to uh, Mumford's price. You know, everything does go really poorly. So I feel like there's enough there that it's not as risky as people are making it out to be. And then you've got the players as well, like Goldstein averaged over 110 in the last half of the year. You've got um, Cruiser, who has averaged 110 in the past and is now you know 430k. So there's a lot of cheaper Ruckman that I feel could go really well this season. So I'm willing to take a gamble on at least one of them. Yeah, and just to back up your, your, your Naismith claim, just because I... Uh, I feel like you're going to get some uh, bants on Twitter about it. <laughs> the Swans elected to keep him over Nank when Nank decided that he wasn't going to get a game there. We know um, what kind of player he is. So they obviously rate Naismith. So um, I, I back you up there for sure. Uh, mate, we'll talk about the forwards now. Um, these for us kind of differ a little bit. Obviously at uh, F1, we have Paddy Dangerfield. It's going to be very, very hard to see any teams passing up on him. The fact that we get him as a DPP forward is amazing. Um, but my R2, uh, sorry, F2 right now is Isaac Heaney Pistol. I think just the, the loss of Dan Hanabry means that they do need a little bit more grunt in the midfield. He did only just hold on to his forward status in 2019, and I think he won't have it in 2020 because he's going to spend some more time in the midfield. They are going to send uh, Cal Sinclair up forward, which means there's less of a need for that you know, that big marking body, and he can spend some more time around the ball um, because especially with the likes of um, JPK aging as well, we saw him drop away a little bit in 2018. I think Isaac Heaney becomes uh, just so much more important uh, and so that's why I've got him uh, at F2 at this stage. I've got confidence that um, at least he won't go backwards. I, I, I can only see good things for him in 2019. Tell us your F2, mate. I, I do like the Heaney pick. I, I think he will be good. But I have opted for Wingard. Now, I had him before Titch went down, so I'm kind of a bit bummed about that. But now that Titch isn't there, I think he gets a bit more of the midfield rotations than he was going to get previously. Um Different type of player than Titch, but still, he's so quick um, bursting out of those packs. And with Jaeger uh, in there and Warple, who definitely be playing stints for the midfield, I feel like Wingard is just a good, solid pick. And also, he doesn't break the bank, because even though he averaged you know over 100 over the last half of the year, um, he started so poorly for, for Port at the beginning of the season that he's only 481k. So for me, that does feel like a bit of a value pick and I'm all for value this year in particular. So uh, Wingard for me is straight in my, straight in my side, Chizo. Um I do want to ask you a question. I'm just going to kind of spring this upon you because I, I have, <laughs> have noticed a little. But that doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> 
There are a lot of uh, midfielders that are mid-priced. I know you just mentioned Hannabury, so that's uh, what sparked it. And you've got you know you've got Hannas, you've got Miles, you've got Liver, you've got Hall. We have spoken about this uh, on the December podcast. But has anything changed in the last month? Like, are you, are you leaning towards one or the other? I think with the mid-prices, the best thing that you can kind of do. I think this kind of stems um, back a few years. Where I kind of learnt to stick towards the ball getters, not the ball carriers. So you've got the likes of an Anthony Miles and a Liberatore that their bread and butter is going and getting the ball. They don't have to wait on someone to get it for them and fish it out and then send it to them. So they tend to be weighted better in the Supercoach scoring because contested possessions are, you know, roll of gold. But they also, if their team's. Um, you know, suffering, they're not in a, a great side, say Anthony Miles going to the Gold Coast, he doesn't have to rely on one of his teammates getting him the ball. He can get in and under a pack and find it. And so they're more likely to have um, not necessarily a higher score uh, if you've got some really good mid-prices. Um, we know Aaron Hall does have uh, a fantastic scoring history when he's on, but I feel like the guys that are more contested beasts are going to be more reliable and probably generate the cash a little bit quicker than, say, an Aaron Hall that might have 100 one week and then a 50 the, the next week when uh, he's not getting it fed out to him a little bit too more. Because he, he, he does kind of play inside-outside, but he is more of a, a flashy outside um, running towards goal player. So I feel like he's more susceptible. And the same kind of goes for, for Dan Han. We saw him at Sydney always being kind of on the outside, uh, in between a winger and a midfielder. And I think those two are going to be less secure as mid-prices specifically for that reason not really considering price at this stage I know Liver's um, 300 flat and Miles is about 340 um, but I'm kind of sticking towards the guys that can get their own ball instead of waiting for someone to give it to them does that make sense? Yeah it does it just sounds like you're saying the contested players carry less risk because they're you know winning it themselves and when you're picking a mid-pricer it's risky as it is so if you can kind of reduce the risk you're going to be better off long term well that's just like uh, I, I guess with everything we're trying to put logic behind it it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right I could <laughs> Hanabry could come out and do 113 or 114 what he did a couple of years ago we, we, you never know but um, yeah I'm just I'm, I'm trying to take a safe route in 2019 I think 2017 <laughs> 2018 I went really really risky with my starting squad and the thing is that we say it every year, you can't win it, but you can lose it in round one. And that, that's something that I've done. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take as many steps as I can to kind of protect myself this year. Yeah. Keep, keep me in it for longer, if that makes sense. Let my trading kind of um, dictate how I finish in the year. So, uh, But in saying that, I do probably have a few more mid-prices than I really, really like. So I've probably got five mid-prices um, at the moment. And that's kind of... It is actually less than what I usually go in with. So... Um, it's not guns and rookies that we've seen, but I'm, I'm a little bit happier with the structure so far, Pistol. Talk to me about your thoughts on mid-prices. No, I'm just laughing because like five is less than you usually take. Like, oh my God, Jesus. Two, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I usually go for... What? That, I, I usually go on potential, you know, like, oh, Miles could go out and average 100, so you get all these mid-prices, and it just... I screw myself every year, and I always... This is the thing. This, if I'm going to take something away from the from 2018, it's not panicking eight minutes before lockout and switching players. It's a story that I tell that I was ruined. <laughs> yeah. 
every every year. <laughs> Last year, I can't remember the specific players, but just before lockout, I took out Jake Lloyd and put like Christian Petrarca or something crazy and like that, and just ruined my season in this in the matter of like ten seconds. Um, and so I'm trying to learn from that. I'm trying to uh, trying to be a better coach. That's what we're all about, Pistol. They're, they're, you're making fun of the fat guy at the gym right now. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to make myself better, and uh, I don't appreciate it. I am laughing because you legitimately had Jake Lloyd the entire preseason. You you called Petraka. You you named him Petrapa, which went around on the internet like Petrapa. And then right before lockout, you took out Lloyd. You switched Sicily so that you could bring in. Tracker, <laughs> it Mate, just I, made no sense. Look, I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I panicked. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not ashamed. You, it, when it comes down to the the, the moment, and you know it's going to be lockout, and you've done all this research, and you've read all these things, and then you just go on this crazy gut feel that came out of nowhere. I can't explain it. These things happen. Mate, well, so, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, and you know, picking five mid prices. <laughs> For safety is also f- hilarious because obviously mid prices carry such an inherent risk. Um, but it was a loaded question because I just did want to talk about how much I love Anthony Miles and will definitely be picking Anthony Miles because I wanted to pick him last year. <laughs> so <laughs> dude's definitely starting my squad this year when he's like a legitimate option. Um, so he's <laughs> definitely straight into uh, my my side. Um, Cheese, was any more key key talking points you want to get on with this? Uh, podcast oh i think the last thing it's something that you brought up uh, prior to to starting the podcast is that when you're going through the the, the most owned players on the Supercoach site they don't seem to correlate with what we're seeing shared around on twitter with a lot of the um i guess you could say pros and semi-pros that that play the game uh, really hardcore they don't really seem to correlate uh, to what we're seeing, where uh, you, you mentioned before when we were talking about our sides that I've got Heaney at, at F2 and he's in a high percentage of teams on the Supercoach site, but you're not seeing him in in many teams on Twitter. What's it? What are your thoughts on the the, the, the Twitter trends? Yeah, that that is pretty interesting. There's there's a couple that stand out. Like I, I guess people may have had Heaney before that have now switched out to Wingard with the Tom Mitchell news. So um, there was def- a definite shift in there. Um, I've noticed on the website it says 22% of people have Libba, which seems really high with the teams that I've seen. Not many have Libba. Like most of them are going um, Anthony Miles over Libba, but they're pretty much 50-50 um, according to the website. Uh, there's a couple of others that stand out. On Twitter, you can't pretty... You, you just don't really see a team without Witherden, whereas he's barely in, you know, he's in 15% of teams um, in reality, which is less than Lockie Neal. Um, and I can't even imagine that when I'm, you know, looking around on the internet. So it's just, I guess, interesting to see what the, I guess we'll call it the more super fans of Supercoach are choosing compared to, um, I don't know, we'll call them the more casual fans. There's definitely trends that are showing up. And I find it super interesting just keeping my eye on what's going on on the online community and what I'm actually seeing on the, the Supercoach website. So maybe it's something that we can keep an eye on um, and discuss in more detail as we notice more trends emerge, Jizo. Yeah, and just to touch on a few players that 
are in the high percentage of ownership that I'm not really seeing in many um, teams shared around, at least in the circle that um, I guess I'm within. Nat Fife in 40% of teams, I'm not seeing him very frequently on the Twitter sphere. Uh, Dusty Martin in 30% of teams, not seeing him a whole lot. Uh, and Devin Smith in 25% of teams, I think there's a little bit of love from 2018. I'm not sure he's going to increase significantly uh, in 2019. So um, definitely a, a couple players that um, probably have a higher ownership than I probably um, are seeing uh, on Twitter, mate. So uh, it's a very good point you bring up. And I, I guess the, the other thing to think about with that is um, we always see coaches picking players because someone else does. So um, just because you're you're seeing someone have a high percentage of ownership doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you should be slotting them in uh, into your side. Do your research. Do uh, find out as much as you can about their preseason and um, formulate your own ideas because that's how you get um, stuck picking uh, P- uh, Petraka and ruining a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, the, I, I'm just going to finish off the podcast. Uh, the first one in 2019, just talking about um, Patreon. Uh, we are running a prospectus competition for the first. Um, 20 people that uh, do sign up, we will be giving away a free prospectus. Uh, prospectus from Champion Data. They're only a few days, I think, uh, reading on Twitter from Frico from being shipped out. I get mine every single year, Pistol. And it's probably the one of only two books I read every year. The other's probably from Stephen Hawking because I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, definitely something to get around and uh, something that we want to give back to the community that do support us um, and something that we're really grateful uh, of how wonderful our community is, Pistol. So uh, unfortunately, mate, I know as as much as you want to join uh, the competition, it's not for you, mate. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I can't read, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that explains your team. Uh, <laughs> hey, mate, this, it's been great to have you on. Um it just feels like old times. It feels like such a long time that we got to sit down and have a podcast together, Pistol. It's been great to hear from you, mate. Yeah, it doesn't feel like we're missing anyone at all. So uh, it's definitely been a really good podcast. <laughs> um, a, an old school uh, Thursday pod as well. Um, yeah. And looking forward to many more Thursday uh, podcasts with you throughout the season. And uh, for anyone that's made it this far, thanks for listening. We'll definitely be uh, pumping out the preseason content and uh, looking forward to seeing those rule changes in action in the JLT as well. Like that will be pretty much a it could change our entire teams like instantaneously. So uh, that is probably the biggest thing we're waiting for before we can kind of, you know, nut down and lock in players uh, specifically besides uh, Naismith. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, watch him get another injury. You're cursing everyone this year. Guys, <laughs> thank you for listening in. You can find us on every major platform for podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Chuck us a rating on there as well if you do like what you hear. It helps us get a few more listens and reach a bigger audience. And the Patreon coming up in the not-too-distant future. Hey, Pistol, thanks for checking in with me. Community, we'll talk again soon.